Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day today. We're joined in studio by our producer, Krista Baruti. Hello. And uh, my partner in crime, Dr. David Schwegman. Good afternoon, C.W. And we're really pleased to have with us today in the studio Dr. Mark Rudisill of the Emory St. Joseph Heart and Vascular Institute. So uh, it's a very busy practice that we're very familiar with. So thank you very much for taking time to uh, come out and talk to us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. So Dr. Rudisill, you're, you're highly educated in uh, vascular surgery, board certified in surgery and vascular surgery, and obviously heavily involved in a number of medical organizations uh, in the state and, uh, and, and indeed nationally. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, uh, as we jumped off here, our practice being one that uh, focuses on patients with wounds that often are threatening uh, limb loss, uh, particularly among like diabetic patients or peripheral vascular disease patients that uh, have a wound of some kind that's uh, compromising their, their limb integrity. We're, we're very familiar with the importance of getting vascular studies to determine, you know, is is blood flow to the limb uh, a component to why they're having that kind of problems and we were actually kind of disappointed as as uh, over the years we've you know heard studies from time to time about how many people go to amputation however major or minor and they never had a non-invasive study to determine is a lack of good blood flow part of their problem i would assume that you're you know kind of in that same boat and you wish that people would you know get to you sooner than later absolutely um i would imagine that uh you know you find yourself thinking uh, often gosh if i had this patient six weeks ago five weeks ago ten weeks ago months ago i could have done something here sure it's amazing how often patients come in with what they think is a infected toenail or ingrown toenail or small ulcer that they stepped on a nail and they in fact have inadequate circulation and that's the heart of the problem. So, you know, when you see that patient, can you take us through some of the things that, you know, you would do for them both from a diagnostic perspective and then from there we can kind of you know, see what we would do about it when we find something? Sure. Uh, every patient uh, gets a, a history and physical exam, as you know, where we want to find out um, what their overall health is. We want to know if they've had problems with their legs before, if they've had wounds before that they've managed to get healed or not. Do they have pain when they walk? Do they have heart disease? Are they a smoker? Do they have other risk factors for hardening of the arteries or atherosclerosis? And then uh, we'll do a physical exam and see what sort of circulation it looks like they have. Uh, following a physical exam, typically patients will get non-invasive vascular testing, which is uh, either ultrasound or pressure measurements of the legs to really determine what the circulation level is and how close to normal it is or abnormal it is. So when you're doing those types of tests, that's something you can do just right there in the office and it's kind of, they come in maybe even the same day? Right. Oftentimes we can do those tests the same day. Certainly we can uh, always if it's an emergency situation. And then based on the combination of those studies, we'll make a determination if further testing is needed um, and, and make a recommendation to the patient. 
Well, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about before we started the show today that, um, you know, the, the, the specialty is changing a little bit. Obviously, you know, vascular surgery, as it implies, you're going in, opening up a limb, uh, whether it's an arm or a leg, you know, often the legs, and, and having to actually access an artery and do some work there either to clean out a blockage or do a bypass of some sort. Uh, but that seems to be kind of, you know, it's still present and still necessary in some patients, but there's some new things you can do that are far easier to recover from. Can you talk a little bit about what those kinds of options are? Well, that's right. Um, historically, vascular surgery um, uh, operated on patients with, uh, with blood flow problems to either clean out their plaque or reroute around it, essentially just fancy plumbing. Uh, but like almost every other uh, surgical specialty, the world has become less invasive, and uh, we try to do now uh, our evaluation on patients and oftentimes our treatment on patients uh, with less invasive techniques, either through catheters or balloons or stents or what's called an atherectomy, which is sort of a rotor-rooter device. There's a various uh, uh, tricks and tools that we have up our sleeve, all hopefully that will uh, restore enough circulation and avoid the need for surgery. And then if that's not enough or if patients are not candidate for those procedures, then we still have surgical options. Whenever you're looking at a patient, you've done one of your non-invasive diagnostic studies and you find something, does that mean then that you have to go and do some sort of angiography where you're actually entering the vascular system with some contrast and taking a, a hard look? Or are you able to ascertain from that non-invasive study just what the problem is and just proceed from there? Well, we can often um, tell from the non-invasive testing what the overall degree of circulatory impairment is, and we can oftentimes have a fairly good idea about the location of the problem. Uh, if, it's, if it's not too severe and patients uh, are not uh, having a problem that requires a procedure right away, then they may be a candidate for some sort of conservative management, but certainly if it's a significant vascular impairment, especially in the setting of a wound or a problem where you're worried about there being not enough circulation to the foot, angiography would be the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just curious, how, how far down the leg now can you go with the endovascular procedures? Because from what I understand, I mean, nowadays you're actually able to go well down below the knee, which for a long time that was you know, like going into outer space, That's you right. know, it was, it was a un, unheard of territory, That's but right. for now it's getting uh, to be more and more common apparently. Yep. The farther you, you go down toward the foot, if you will, the smaller the blood vessels get. And probably uh, uh, the results of balloons and stents uh, do deteriorate a little bit as you get into smaller and smaller blood vessels. That being said, there are now a number of techniques and specifically designed balloons and stents and other devices that are made for these small blood vessels in the calf. And there are some people that even will go into the foot with some of these catheters and wires to try to do isolated, uh, take care of isolated disease at that location. Go ahead. You know, Dr. Rudisil, in our practice, we're overwhelmed sometimes when we see patients that are so far gone. They've got such advanced vascular disease that you often wonder why in the world didn't we pick this up earlier and it just happens so frequently i'm wondering you know where where are we falling down in the medical medical community that we're not picking up these patients uh, much sooner yeah it's a i mean it's a dilemma uh, we don't 
in, in at least in metropolitan Atlanta, we don't see um, uh, patients uh, as often as we used to that come in at age 70 with diffuse vascular disease that have never seen a doctor, but we still do see that sometimes. Um, oftentimes, though, um, you know, vascular disease can occur not only in the, it's not an isolated problem, it can occur right. in the legs or in the carotid arteries of the neck, it can occur in the brain, it can occur in the heart. And oftentimes, especially in diabetic patients, some of these problems are silent until, they form, until they're a crisis. I see. And so, especially patients that are not having regular access to primary care uh, or family physicians, uh, simple screening techniques for some of these problems may not be being performed. And so we may not see them until they do have a crisis, and that may be 20 years after the onset of the problem. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find that are are there recommendations within you know because we were going to talk about you know before we're through here today we'll talk about uh, your your interaction with the Georgia Vascular Society but I mean are there within the specialty are there a set of recommendations of you know just like looking using as prostate cancer for example when you reach this age you should have at mm-hmm. least a base study of some sort is there some recommendations that are ideal you know that uh, kind of helps identify some of those problems on an earlier you know phase of the disease yeah in vascular surgery really about the only um, recommended screening study is for aortic aneurysms and patients that have a, a, a primary family history of aneurysms or have smoked a hundred cigarettes in their lifetime and are over age 60 there's a, a recommendation that they at least have one screening abdominal ultrasound. Mm. Um, otherwise, there are no hard rules about that. Certainly, patients that have coronary disease often have carotid disease. Um, the reason that's important is because carotid disease can often um, not cause symptoms until patients have a stroke. In the legs, more often patients will have symptoms of a problem. They'll tell you that their legs hurt when they walk or they ache or their feet are cold or they've got a wound that's not healing. The carotid arteries may be a a silent area of a problem until a crisis occurs. And so I I think certainly most patients, at least at St. Joseph's and I'm sure most places, for instance, that have heart surgery get a screening carotid study done at that time because there is such a high incidence of coexistence of disease but across the board there's no hard recommendation for that you know in our practice we're we're focused on the chronic wounded patient Um, obviously a huge portion of the people that we see are um, people that also come with diabetes as a part of their picture Um, but you know obviously when they're getting to us they have a wound. It's not getting better. So our experience of patients with the, you know, with vascular disease, you know, it's it's very high. You know, they're all they all have a wound. Mm-hmm. When they get to your practice, the vascular patient, um, and you've got a whole breadth of people that aren't necessarily being referred by, let's say, Doctor Bielis from the wound practice, but someone just sending you patients, we think they have a problem. On your side of the fence, how many people that come to you that end up having some kind of, you know interventional kind of need for vascular also have a wound you know what i'm saying you know 10 uh, percent of patients that come to us actually are manifesting part of the problem with a wound on their foot right that's actually probably not a not a far off guess um 
We, we get patients referred for a number of reasons for, for lower extremity circulation issues. Either uh, a physician can't feel pulses, they'll complain that their feet hurt or their feet are cold, and, and it'll be as simple as that. Or uh, patients will have what we call claudication, which is discomfort in the muscles in the legs when you walk. Um, that typically goes away almost immediately when you stop walking. Uh, that's a very reproducible symptom that occurs at a certain degree of exercise or a certain distance of walking. And that's uh, typically due to a fixed blockage in the leg somewhere that's interfering with circulation. Claudication uh, can, um, can occur at varying distances and can be either nothing more than a nuisance or it can be a lifestyle limiting problem. If someone tells you that they have trouble walking after their two-mile dog walk up and down hills, that's completely different than if they can't get to the refrigerator and back. So you treat those patients differently really based on the level of their symptoms. And then when they, when they progress beyond that exercise-induced walking, that's where you begin to get conditions that we term limb-threatening. And that's where you can get pain at rest due to inadequate circulation or wounds on the legs that aren't healing. And so, as you said, most of the patients that you see that have vascular disease already have limb-threatening disease. That's probably not more than about 10% of the patients that we see, but, but it's certainly an important part of, of what we see. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we always have to think, you know, for us, we, we want to know, have they had a vascular study in the last year? If they had a revascularization of some kind in the last year, is it still patent? Um, you know, so we're thinking, you know, in our practice, what's their vascular status? Uh, I was just kind of curious of, you know, what number of people just come to a vascular practice in general that, you know, had a wound on their on their foot as part of the reason why they got sent to you. But it sounds like the vast majority, it's what you talked about. Either they're having some pain with walking or changes in pulses. I've read some studies that talked about the fact that the pulses themselves aren't necessarily the best way to determine someone's vascular status. Well, I mean, pulses are somewhat subjective. Um, And um, so to a certain extent, it depends on the examiner as to uh, how how strong pulses are and whether they're felt or not. But Certainly, strong pulses in the uh, in the feet are or what we would call normal pulses, for the most part, rule out a serious blockage. You can still have you can still have mild to moderate blockages, and still have a pulse. For instance, patients that have a fifty percent blockage may have a pulse at rest, but when they walk, they could actually lose that pulse due to flow going out collateral vessels. Um, in general, though, if a vascular surgeon feels your feet or if you guys feel someone's foot and there are pulses that can be palpated, most of the time that'll rule out a serious uh, impairment in flow. Have you seen over time, you know, because we were talking a little bit, you know, when Schwegman asked the question about, you know, where are we falling down? I mean, are you, are you seeing better you know, diagnosis from the folks out in the field that, you know, that patients rely on to get them to you? I mean, are we doing a better job over time now that there's more and more studies out there that, 
you know, at least in the wound scene, that when there's a wound, you, you definitely need to take care of it. We still see we fall down on that. But, I mean, in general, do you see that, uh, you know, from a primary care or, say, foot and ankle, for example, that we're doing a better job of evaluating someone's vascular status? I, I ask that question just so that uh, the listener out there that's either a patient or a physician, you know, would understand that, hey, when I've got a patient and they're complaining of this or that, the vascular specialist recommends a study at this right. point. Well, I'd like to tell you that I've uh, seen increased awareness of that, but I don't know that that's really true. Um, certainly in in metropolitan Atlanta, I think it probably is true that uh, that non-invasive vascular testing is now so readily available that um, that those studies are ordered fairly early at the slightest suspicion of a problem. I don't know that that's true across the state or across the country. Um, and I, you know, I, I do think it's appropriate for uh, for anyone, whether it's a physician or a patient that has a wound on their foot or their leg that's not behaving appropriately, not healing in a reasonable amount of time. I'd like to think the light bulb would go off that there may be a reason for that, and uh, and uh, call their doctor. So, what's new in the world of? vascular surgery what's on the horizon is there anything out there that's really exciting that you think is going to take hold in the near future well again that um, non-invasive vascular treatment has really um, made uh, huge gains uh, during the uh, the length of my practice probably the the biggest change in my practice career is um, is endograft management of aortic aneurysms which uh, basically is repairing an aneurysm from the inside through catheters either with small incisions in the groin or sometimes even just with needle sticks in the groin uh, that really takes uh, a large number of patients probably 80 plus percent of patients from what was 15 years ago a huge operation that involved a couple of days in the ICU and a week in the hospital and six weeks to get over it now to a one-day stay in the hospital on the floor and back to near normal in a week. That's incredible. And the advances that you had in on the arterial side, there's also been a lot of advances from the venous side. you mind telling the listeners about that as well? Sure. Um, historically, um, uh, when vascular surgeons got involved in varicose vein treatment, it's, it was simply to remove the bad veins. Uh, that was done with a, uh, an operation called a vein stripping, uh, which was uh, an extremely common procedure done uh, um, 15 to 50 years ago, and nowadays is very rarely performed. Um, like arterial surgery, non-invasive techniques in vein treatment have advanced to the point that we can treat uh, almost all patients in the office now through a variety of techniques uh, with either a catheter-based uh, therapy that we called ablation, which essentially cauterizes bad feeding veins. Uh, we can inject veins with solutions to close them off. We can we can do limited removal of veins in the office through through little microscopic incisions. And so uh, we approach veins now when we see patients with varicose veins as essentially an office-based problem. So you had mentioned for folks that are looking for peripheral artery disease, they may have symptoms like claudication. How about when, how does a patient identify when they've got venous disease? Well, they, that runs the gamut. Certainly uh, a lot of 
of patients come to see us just because they don't like the look of their veins, basically for cosmetic issues. But um, the larger veins become and the more they they tend to protrude or bulge out, the more likely they are to cause pressure. And that pressure can cause aching or heaviness or fatigue or itching or burning. Uh, it, it can result in a number of symptoms, even some patients that have um, uh, nighttime leg cramping, so-called restless legs. This is one of the potential sources for restless leg type phenomenon. So patients that have large veins can present in a number of different ways, but it's usually, it's usually aching, heavy legs with pain over the site where their veins bulge out that are the most common presentation. In the practice, you know, as you talk about uh, treating patients that are having problems with their veins, uh, obviously you have a number of specialists in the office uh, that are, you know, vascular physicians. Do you all f- do vein work in addition to the work on the arteries, or is there one or two or three of you that kind of, you know, are the ones that, that a patient would, you know, be linking up with for those types <laughs> of problems? Well, uh, we all do everything. Certainly all of us have our own um interests uh and um uh, for instance i probably do more veins um now by far than i used to and my practice has evolved that way over time um some of the guys are specifically interested in carotid disease or aneurysmal disease but but really all of us are trained to do everything and uh, all of us can handle these problems mm-hmm We've been talking to Dr. Mark Rudisell of uh, the St. Joseph Heart and Vascular Institute, learning a little bit about vascular disease. Um, tell me what what you know. You're you're a, you're a person. You have your interests. What got you into you know the vascular specialty to begin with? So I, um, my first job in medicine, I was an orderly in the operating room in Dallas, where I um, grew up. And uh, actually, the first surgery I ever got to see was a vascular surgery operation, was a carotid endarterectomy. And I didn't know it at the time, but the person doing that operation was actually quite famous for that procedure. And I, I thought it was a really elegant, nice operation that didn't take very long. And from what I could tell, patients seemed to do great. And as my medical school and surgical training uh, uh, went forward, it just seemed like that's what I gravitated towards. Um, it was a, it's a technical specialty, right. and um, um, it's a it's a specialty that uh, that affected a lot of people. It was somewhat underserved when I was coming into training, and um, I really got to know and respect some of the some of the professors and some of the vascular surgeons in Dallas where I went to medical school uh, that probably steered me a little bit that direction and here I am. <laughs> so you know you know and here you are and when you go home you know at the end of the day what's one of those things that just you, you walk out of the office going man I'm so glad I do this this is I love it what what what's one of those things that just really you know makes you love what you do? Well there's so many things for all of us that that do that I, I just yesterday I had a patient um, when I just say hello and she was here for follow-up and I'd cleaned out a carotid artery a few years ago and done bypasses on her legs a few years ago and 
and really it's just sort of a hello how are you let me go over your your non-invasive testing meeting and she said uh, I said how are you doing are you having problems and she said I'm really not having any problems thank you for saving my life that was kind of a nice thing <laughs> that's got to feel good yeah <laughs> well that's I mean that and that's great I, you know I I like hearing you know the experts that we have here come in on the show and talk about those things because uh, you know just like I said, you, you, you are a person. It's one of those, it's one of those relationships sometimes that folks kind of forget that you are a, a person. You're highly trained. You're very technical in your, your skill set. And so it, I think sometimes folks can feel like it's, I don't know, it's not as a human contact as they may think. But, you know, that kind of illustrates for me, I mean, that, that it's good to know that the person that you're dealing with uh, and putting your life in their hands. I mean, that's something that uh, they feel an emotional connection to. So I, I love hearing the, the stories that, of the physicians that we talk to over time uh, when they uh, give us ideas of what they what, what got them motivated and why they love do, doing what they do. But one of the things that led me to talking to you today, in addition to you know talking about your, your vascular practice, is your involvement with the Georgia Vascular Society. Um, that being the overarching, you know, group that kind of uh, ties the, the different physicians across the state together. So tell me a little bit about the society. I know you guys have some things coming up um, with the society that uh, will be good learning opportunities. We want to make sure folks know about those as well. We do. Um, I'm uh, honored to be the, the second president of the Georgia Vascular Society. We, um, as vascular surgeons, um, realized we had enough critical mass of vascular surgeons back before I went into practice in the late 70s in Atlanta. And um, the the leaders in the vascular surgery in this area formed an Atlanta Vascular Society at that time in order to get to know each other and discuss common problems and patients. And um, over the years, that became a quite um, popular society among vascular surgeons in the, in the metropolitan Atlanta area. In fact, we had surgeons come from Macon and Columbus for our meetings, but we also recognized that as vascular surgery grew as a specialty, we had quite a number of surgeons around the state of Georgia who simply couldn't make it to Atlanta for these sorts of meetings every time that were usually held on a weeknight. So uh, so uh, there are now about 120 surgeons in the state of Georgia whose practice is either largely or wholly devoted to vascular surgery. There are a number of regional societies around the country, Florida Vascular, South Florida Vascular being two of the most prominent, uh, that have been very successful in, in, uh, in advancing uh, academia in vascular surgery, having uh, meetings uh, at, uh, at places they would like to go where they can all get to know each other. And, and really, we thought that there were enough vascular surgeons in Georgia um, that we could probably make this ago and that and that we could bring people together from savannah and columbus and augusta and macon and albany and uh, meet once a year uh, and so our meeting is coming up in a couple of weeks at lake oconee we're trying to have it a central location we're bringing in some very very uh, well-known speakers from around the country in addition to a number of talks from from emory and from other physicians around the state and uh, so we're looking forward to it. it should be a great meeting so in those, you're getting CME-type information and, and being able to add to that requirement every year as, as, as well. And I, it seemed like I'd seen something that you're doing in a conference in conjunction with another society as well sometime in the next uh, uh, near future. I thought that uh, 
maybe a, down the road a little ways. There has the Georgia Vascular Society is you know relatively early in its history. There is already talk though about having combined meetings, for instance, with the Florida Vascular right. Society or with some other regional groups to try to get together. Um, so that may be what you're referencing. Um, now, I believe there's a website there for the for the Georgia Vascular Society uh, that folks can go and mm-hmm. learn about uh, how to become members if they're not already. Sounds like most of the physicians that are in the specialty are in that space, but make right. sure you look that up. Um, I've got uh, I'll have links on our website for your particular biography on uh, the St. Joseph Vascular uh, site, so that folks can link up and learn more about you. Um, Anything that you'd like to leave our, our listeners with today, just a parting thought, uh, whether it's something you really enjoy about what you do or maybe a you know a thought you'd like to drive home for a listener, whether they're a patient or a, a physician, before we go? Um, not really. I, I, uh, I think uh, hopefully vascular surgery is now um, accepted as a, uh, as a well-recognized specialty by everyone, and uh, Anyone that, that thinks they may have a problem with their blood flow, whether it be arterial problems or vein problems, certainly uh, we would ask that you uh, ask your doctor about that or even give us a call. We, cert- we don't require patients to be referred from another physician. We'd be happy to have patients uh, bring themselves to our office. And, uh, and uh, non-invasive uh, uh, vascular testing is now quite prevalent. And uh, again, the treatment for vascular disease, whether it be arterial or venous, uh, can now often be performed uh, uh, as an outpatient or in the office. And so uh, there's really not uh, as much to be afraid of as there used to be. And uh, we would be happy to see you. Well, I know that uh, I've been part of our practice for five years, and I've seen, you know, for myself just how often we're interfacing with uh, the Heart and Vascular Institute there at St. Joseph and you and your colleagues. And so I can certainly recommend uh, linking up with you all as a specialist in the field of vascular medicine. Um, And uh, we'll make sure that we're tied into all of your social media and uh, websites through the Top Docs radio page. If you've not already done so, link up with the Top Docs uh, show social social feeds. We're at Twitter at Top Docs on BRX and Facebook.com slash Top Docs on BRX. And then, of course, obviously, our, our practice website is hbomdga.com, and we're at Twitter and uh, uh, Facebook at the same slash top docs, or I'm sorry, slash hbomdga. Um, we want to say thank you very much. We know that uh, the specialists like yourself are very busy, you have a full schedule to deal with. And so when you make time to come out and share information with us, we really appreciate your time and investment there. So uh, thanks again, and uh, I'll make sure we put out information about the Georgia Vascular Society events coming up. Thank you very much for uh, being part of the show today, Dave and uh, Krista. And uh, we'll see you all next week, same time, same place. 